0: Our Old Testament lesson on which the sermon is based is Psalm 25, and we are going to read it responsively. so I invite you to find a pew Bible, and um, I believe it is page 492. And if that's not the page on your Bible, um, you just open it up to the middle and you should come to it. And um, while you're looking for that, Just a couple of words of introduction about Psalm 25. This psalm is in the form of an acrostic, and we wouldn't recognize that reading it in English, but if we were reading it in Hebrew, it would be readily apparent to us. Uh, The first verse begins with the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet, uh, Aleph, which is equivalent to our letter A and then the second verse begins with bet, equivalent to our letter B, and so forth. And I mention this not because it's a just an interesting fact, but because it actually contributes to the meaning of the psalm. Um, because by going through the entire alphabet, what is conveyed here is a sense of wholeness, a sense of completeness. Now, furthermore, the Hebrew alphabet actually has 21 Letters and there are 22 verses in this psalm. So the final verse, verse 22, falls outside of this acrostic form. And in this verse, the psalmist is writing, asking God to redeem all of Israel. So to my mind, what is happening here is that the psalmist moves from this prayer as an individual into a prayer for the whole community. And it seems then fitting for us to share in the reading of the psalm as a whole community as we're gathered in worship. So I will read the odd numbered verses and you will respond with the even numbered verses. And as we read, let us listen for God's word to us. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. Do not let those who wait for you be put to shame. Let them be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. Your ways, Lord, teach you Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all day long. Do not remember the sins of my youth or my transgressions, according to your steadfast love, remember me for your goodness' sake, O Lord. He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. They will abide in prosperity, and their children shall possess the land. And he makes to My eyes are ever toward the Lord. Or he will pluck my feet out of the net. Relieve the troubles of my heart and bring me out of my distress. Consider my position and my and all my sins. Consider how many are my foes, and with what violent hatred they hate me. May integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you. The word of the Lord. The title of today's sermon is I Love You and I Have Expectations. I Love You. And I have expectations. This title is drawn from a book written by psychologist Mary Pfeiffer. It's entitled The Shelter of Each Other. And in this book, Mary Pfeiffer writes this healthy parents say to their children, I love you, but I have expectations. By that definition, then, God is a healthy parent. Now, I know it's really presumptuous for me to judge God's parenting skills, for it's really the other way around. God's the judge of our parenting, our step-parenting, our grandparenting skills. However, for purposes of this sermon today, I'm going to stick with this assessment. God is a healthy parent, because God says, I love you, And I have expectations. So here is a question for you. How have you already experienced just today God saying to you as God's own beloved child, I love you? Well, here are some ways that I've experienced it already today. Uh, When I arrived here this morning, I could already hear the band rehearsing over in the Fellowship Hall, and then as I prepared to come down into the sanctuary today, I could hear Tony rehearsing the choir and getting everything right, fixing it just right. And I heard in that God saying, I love you. And I heard it earlier today over in the Fellowship Hall as people gathered, and certainly as I came in today in this sanctuary, that bubbling up of energy as conversation is shared among you. Not idle small talk, but really connecting with each other and genuinely interested about how your summer is going and the sharing of that and the making of uh, new relationships as people enter and introduce themselves to one another. I always hear God saying I love you through our fabulous tech crew. (laughs) They are so good to the technically challenged people as uh, over in the fellowship hall and today, and certainly they make it possible for us to live stream uh, that so that those of you who are joining us in that manner can worship with us from wherever you are. And they're always so good about it Jeff and Bill, and I can't uh, see who else is behind. Okay, Harry, (laughs) you all are so great uh, to smile and not make us feel uh, so technically challenged. And so in all of these ways, we experience God saying, I love you. Certainly we've heard it in the reading of our scripture today. These strong words of our faith Words in the psalm like faithfulness and mercy. And then there is that word that we have a hard time translating into English. The translators try by using words like steadfast love or loving kindness. But in Hebrew, the word is so much better and so much bigger. The word is pissed. And doesn't that say something about how big God's love is for us. And in the sacraments of our church, we experience God saying, I love you. We have watched the drips of water today for Larkin and Amelia. And we've heard God's words, Lo, I am with you always, even to the close of the age. And when we gather to celebrate the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, and we taste that little morsel of bread, that tiny sip of grape juice, we actually get to taste the love of God. Even as we hear those words, this is my body and it is broken for you. This is my blood and it is shed for you out of a love that never fails. And so in all of these ways, and in so many more than I could ever mention, in the mystery, the holy mystery that is life itself, we hear God saying, I love you. However, what God says to us doesn't stop there. We Here, as the second part of God's word to us through the psalmist, I love you and I have expectations. Today, as the Andersons and the pastors and Jim Dever, our elder, gathered at the font, questions were asked. And these questions are intentional. They are not light questions. They are these questions. Relying on God's grace, do you promise to live the Christian faith and to teach that faith to your children? Will you, with God's help, be Christ's faithful disciple obeying his word, and showing his love? These are intentional questions that ask us at the very beginning of our lives if we will shape the character of our lives to reflect the character of God's own love. We're asked... Will we live according to that great commandment where Jesus took words from the Old Testament and brought them together and told us that we are to love God with all of our hearts, all of our minds, all of our souls, all of our strength, and to love our neighbor with our whole selves. And Paul puts it, in Romans 12 that Greg has read today in his letter to that church, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed, transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you might discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. In Psalm 25, we're actually given a visual picture of what it looks like to shape the character of our lives according to the character of God's love. In the first verse of Psalm 25, we read, To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. Now, in ancient Israel, the traditional posture for prayer was this. And that is how the psalm begins. It's the lifting up of one's whole body and one's whole soul to live life in all of its fullness according to the ways of God's love and justice. And when we make this commitment to walk in the way of our God, in the way of the Holy One who we know in Jesus Christ We're making that commitment to do so even when we are feeling lonely, afraid, even when our hearts are breaking because of the violence that we witness, as we have done this past week, yet again in Highland Park and in Akron, and yes, right here in Charleston. and to do so even when we are wrestling with despair and cynicism about what the future holds, whether there's going to be any difference in the future for church or community or nation or world. We're called to lift up our lives, our souls, And as I keep this visual picture of that lifting up of life, in my mind's eye, I am led to the example of Chester Winger. I was introduced to Chester Winger, um, maybe three, four weeks ago, when someone suggested that I listen to a podcast that's entitled Revisionist History. This podcast is hosted by Malcolm Gladwell, and you may recognize his name as being a best-selling author, the author of books like The Tipping Point and Blink and others. And in this podcast, uh, Malcolm Gladwell interviews Chester Winger. At the time of the interview, which took place several years ago, Chester Winger was 98 years old, and Malcolm Gladwell introduces him as Mennonite Loyalty. Chester Winger was the son of the president of Eastern Mennonite University in Harrisonburg, Virginia. In 1949, he was ordained as a Mennonite pastor, and he and his wife, Sarah Jane, then became missionaries in Ethiopia, and they were there for several decades. Chester Winger had a particular gift for starting schools. He opened a school to train nurses' aides in Ethiopia. He started a school for the children of missionaries, and he opened a school that became a renowned secondary school for Ethiopian uh, students. He also um, became the leader of the Morete Christos Church, which is the largest Mennonite congregation in the world. And then after he turned over leadership of that congregation to an Ethiopian pastor, he went on to become the leader of the Mennonite World Committee. After he had been kind of on that global stage for many, many years, he came back to the States and he became the pastor of Blossom Hill Mennonite Church in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. So he was as orthodox a Mennonite as one could ever meet. And then one day, Phil, Phil Winger, one of Chester and Sarah Jane's eight children, came to them and said, I'm gay. So Phil and Sarah Jane decided that the unconditional love that they had had for Phil and for all of their children would continue unabated. Then, in 2014, Phil came to Chester. And by this time, he had been with his partner, Steve Denisento, for more than 20 years. And in 2014, it became legal for marriage to take place for Phil and for Steve. And Phil relates that he went to his father, his mentor, his friend, and he asked him to officiate at their marriage. Phil decided to do that. He officiated at their marriage and the Mennonite committee stripped him of his pastoral credentials because that was prohibited by their rules. Now can you imagine how that must have felt? after all of these years of serving God through the church, to have those credentials taken away? Chester Winger accepted it. And he wrote a letter, an open letter, to the Mennonite church. It's a long letter. You can find it online if you look for it. Here are some of the paragraphs that stood out for me. He began the letter this way. I am profoundly reluctant to write this letter because I know that there are those whom it will wound. But I have also come to the conviction that I can no longer hide the light the Lord has lit within me under a bushel. I want to share what the Lord with you, what the Lord has been telling me and my dear life companion. Sarah Jane. The world in which we live is no longer an idyllic Eden. It is a broken, complex, violent, messy, yet absolutely wonderful world. God's mercy-filled grace infuses our broken world with a goodness that keeps surprising us with joy and with healing. God's grace calls us to faithfully love God and to love our neighbor above all else. When my wife and I read the Bible with today's fractured church in mind, we ask, what is Jesus calling us to do with our sons and our daughters who are bullied, homeless, abused, and driven to suicide at far higher rates than our heterosexual children. I know persons will accuse me for my transgression of performing this marriage, but my act of love was done on behalf of a church that I love, and my conscience is clear. Chester Winger died in October of 2020. He was 102 years old. And an article was written about him. And in this article, his son in law, Steve, said this. He stood up for his belief. He stood up with his convictions. He stood up for us. In other words, one might say, he was responding to a God who says, I love you. And he was doing what he could to live up to those expectations that we are to love God and our neighbor as ourselves. Now, here's a little postscript. I'm a subscriber to the journal Christian Century. And this past week, that journal arrived in my mailbox, and I opened it up. And what should I see? But an article about the Mennonite Church USA meeting on May 29th and lifting the restrictions on their pastors so that they are now free to perform marriages for persons in the LGBTQ community. Now, of course, I wasn't there for the Mennonite meeting. But I would not be surprised to learn that perhaps Chester Winger's name came up and that what he had done in some way helped to pave the path This action. I love you and I have expectations. God says to each of us, and God says to all of us. And so, my friends, let us lift up our souls, our whole lives to God who loves us more than we could ever imagine. And let us turn our face outward to this messy world that is still so wonderful. And let us pray that we will be shown the way to live up to God's loving and just expectations. Amen.